Collective Cast Number 11, Not for Children. You're tuned to the Collective Cast. Agents of the Collective strive to fight, adapt, and grow. Whether facing the evils of the world or those within ourselves, we support one another and leave nobody behind. And now, here's your host of the Collective Cast, The Cryptic Chameleon. Hello, everybody. My name is Chris, also known as the Cryptic Chameleon. It's great to be back. I'm actually recording two podcasts in two weeks. That is rare. You, I don't think you're normally going to be seeing this. So, uh, welcome back. This is the Collective Cast, the place where we talk about how we fight, adapt, and grow in everyday life and gaming. I hope that you all have been having a good week, and uh, I'm really excited that I get to do another one of these because it's um, it, it's really something that I fell away from, and it's coming back to. I, I can't promise this is going to be every week or you know how often this is going to happen. Like I said in the last show, I would really prefer to uh, interview people and to have them, um, you know, be part of the the experience where I get to talk to them about what they've learned from uh, experiences that they've come out of in their lives. I think that that's, uh, you know, going to be much more entertaining to me and to other people. That being said, I was reflecting on some stuff this week and I wanted to do um, a podcast about these things that I've been reflecting on. That being said, there is a content warning uh, with this episode. This episode deals with things of both deals with topics of trauma, shame, religion, and sexuality. Because of that, I do not necessarily consider this to this podcast to be uh, acceptable for younger listeners and for uh, viewers in my stream that may be under the age of say eighteen. So for that reason. Please, uh, listener discretion is advised. And hello to the chat. Uh, I do. I am recording this particular podcast live while I'm streaming, and it would help if I actually switch scenes. Yeah. Um, no, Sub Zero is not <laughs> under eighteen. Trust me. So anyway, let's let's dive right into the topic at hand. And there's there's a road we're gonna travel on here, and this road is based upon my own experiences this is not necessarily based on um well it's based on my experiences based on things i've read and stuff like that i am not an expert here the definitions i choose to use here are not uh, necessarily made up off the top of my head these are things where i pulled from resources here or there so bear with me first thing i want to talk about is trauma all of us have trauma Period. Everybody has trauma. And trauma impacts us in ways, or at least in, has impacted my life in ways that I was completely blind to at times and still have a blindness to. You know, that thing where 
people say you, you can't hear your own voice really you you can't really understand how you look without looking in a mirror and if you, nobody has a mirror to hold up for you you don't know what you look like you kind of can see what your nose looks like a little bit like if you look down but you don't know what you look like similarly with trauma you don't necessarily see the impact that it's having on you because you're living in it so trauma is pain that has been caused by negative emotions, experiences, or some kind of physical incident. So for example, if you get in a car accident, even if you don't go to the hospital, it could still cause you trauma. I remember my first car accident, um, I laid down that night and you know I was a little sore, but I laid down that night and my body replayed the impact replayed the impact not the actual physical pain of the impact but like my my mind like gave me that sense of the impact of the car accident um while i was laying in bed and that that kind of snapped me out of it i was about to fall asleep and i was like bam ooh, yeah so um that that is an example of a trauma but other trauma can happen including uh bullying including people shutting you down when you have ideas, people telling you you're worthless, uh, people saying, oh, well, you know, you're very intelligent, but you, you, you don't do this right. Um, and it also has to do with how you, as a person, deal with criticism or deal with um, people doing those things. And it drives, a trauma will always drive a person to protect themselves from experiencing the pain again. So naturally speaking, if, if you go and touch a hot stove and get burned, you're not going to want to get burned again. That's just the nature of the human mind is you learn what causes you pain and then you try to avoid it. That's what trauma does to us. And it doesn't matter if it's emotional pain, physical pain, um, etc., our brains are designed to try to protect us from pain. And that can be a good thing. It's a good survival mechanism, but it's not. Because especially when a lot of the trauma that we experience, at least I've experienced, is emotional or psychological in nature, it's not like you're it's not like in the you know days of human development where you know, humanity was surviving against predators. This is not predators that I'm trying to escape from. This is internal pain, mental pain, emotional pain. And that that brings me to the concept of shame. So um, Brene Brown, Dr. Brene Brown, is, is a great researcher that I've listened to a lot of her stuff Um Wow, that sentence didn't make much sense, but still. Um, I've listened to a lot of Brene Brown's talks and her audiobooks about shame and how to deal with shame and their and shame resiliency, so to speak. And there I'm just doing this as a reminder because I've talked about it before. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I did something bad. So I messed up on something. Okay. That's fine. Shame is, I am bad. I messed. Uh, I am messed up. I am the thing that is bad. So, and I know that when I was young, this, this is something. And even into my adulthood, when somebody would criticize something that I did, or somebody would criticize, uh, you know, something that I said, etc. 
I almost never took it as I did a bad thing. Instead, I took it as I am bad. I am bad because I'm doing this annoying thing. I am bad because I uh, messed this thing up. I am bad because X, Y, Z. And that comes from a lot of areas. So you can see how trauma might tie to shame. If I feel ashamed of a lot of things, shame is a very painful emotion. In fact, it is so painful that it will stick with us for a long, long time. So shame is a painful thing. So when I feel shame or I cause somebody else to feel shame, it leaves a lasting impact. And the problem is with shame, it can happen a lot in childhood development. So if as a child, I didn't get my needs met or didn't perceive that my needs were met in some way, shape, or form, then that would tie to shame. There's something wrong with me. And guess what? It it actually, in almost all cases, comes down to parents don't know how to parent because there's no book for parenting. I could say that as a co-parent, you know? I could say that as somebody that has a child. There is no book that can tell you how to properly parent, especially when, uh, as a parent, you're coming into things with the impressions of parenting that you got from your own parents, which caused you the trauma that you experienced and the shame that you experienced. So a lot of shame ties into family upbringing and a lot of trauma comes into family upbringing because if as a child, when I thought the entire world revolved around me because children are necessarily selfish because that's the only way they would survive. Um, And then those needs aren't met or those needs are deferred uh, or there is only reward under certain circumstances, etc. Then those things cause shame. It inherently causes a child to believe they are not worthy, that there is something wrong with them, that they are set apart, that they are broken. Now, for me, in addition to whatever family trauma I had, and yes, there there is family shame there, there is family trauma there, and in most families there is. The other thing for me was that because of the mechanisms I developed to protect myself and because of my natural inclination to be a chatterbox, that kind of carried over into school and into friendships where I did not have a lot of friends. I did not feel like I belonged in public. I did not feel like I belonged in school. At times, I even fantasized about, you know, especially once the X-Files came out, maybe I'm an alien. Maybe I I was not born to human parents. Maybe, you know, uh, I was switched at birth. Maybe something else happened because I didn't feel like I belonged in my family. I didn't feel like I belonged in my school. I I didn't feel like I belonged in society. And even when I got to the like 19 or 20 age range, I honestly thought that the world was going to end and I was going to die before I hit 30. Okay. That gives you an idea of the mental state I was in. And this was all tied to shame. And so what does somebody in shame do? What does somebody that has had trauma in their life do? Well, they try to build defense mechanisms 
And those defense mechanisms for somebody that feels shame about who they are include trying to make other people happy, trying to uh, avoid causing pain to other people, trying to uh, get my own way without getting my own way. So trying to be passive aggressive in getting what I want, Uh, talking down to people uh, in order to try to get them to do what I want, being manipulative, um, being you know, not motivated to try to do things for myself or for my own good because that requires tenacity. And I don't have tenacity because I'm, you know, uh, I'm weak. And clearly I'm weak because, you know, I'm defective. And that again ties back to the shame. So we have trauma. Trauma can come from a variety of sources, including family, um, bullying, and, um, you know, abuse situations, things like that. And yes, I I had, at a very young age, I did have some uh, abuse situations happen, not for my family, and yes, they were of a sexual nature. I'm not going to get into them, but I will say that yes, I've had that in my life, which also totally messes up the concept of a healthy sexuality and we'll we'll touch on that in a little bit notice i'm not being explicit here i'm just saying it really does mess up if your first experience of sexuality is traumatic you and you immediately have a traumatic sense of sexuality and you associate sexuality with pain but um as you'll see later in the discussion, you also, at least I also associate it with belonging. I associate it with the, a person must love me if they're having, uh, you know, that kind of relationship with me. And also as a status thing, it's like, why is my fed? Uh, I don't know. Um, it's also a status thing. Oh, well, you know, if, if somebody is willing to do this with me, then maybe I'm not defective. Maybe that's healing me, you know? Um, so that, Brings me to religion. How does religion tie to shame and trauma? (laughs) Well, um, let's see here. Religion ties to shame and trauma in a lot of ways. So when at least I growing up didn't feel like I belonged anywhere, I really got into my faith life. And that's not to say that faith can't be a positive thing. So I don't want people saying that I'm turning around saying all religion is bad and should be banned. Uh, all spirituality is evil. Uh, spirituality causes nothing but harm. That is not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying is for me, what happened was I had no sense of belonging anywhere. And so I figured if I can take my religion which I'm, is supposed to be part of my identity as a person. It's supposed to be part of my core being, right? So I identify as my religion. You know, somebody somebody talks to you and says, well, what, what religion are... Oh, I am a Catholic. Not I practice Catholicism. I am a Catholic. I am a Baptist. I am a Buddhist. I am this. I am that. It, it becomes a defining characteristic because there's a code of ethics that ties into religion. There's a code of conduct that ties into religion. And so as I begin to take my religion more seriously, or I thought I was taking it more seriously, I saw it as an opportunity to belong. I saw it as an opportunity to be good at something. Hey, I can do this religious thing well. I can be the best in this religion. I can really get to know this religion. I can live it out. Um, I'm going to understand my faith inside now, and I'm going to adhere to all the rules of this faith. 
because I thought it would help me to belong. Meanwhile, of course, that doesn't really help me to belong. In fact, it causes me to alienate myself from things. And not only that, but it it did become part of my identity, which then drove more shame. Well, why? Well, as I mentioned, religion has rules. And spiritualist is fine. Religion, though, organized religion has rules. If you break those rules, there are consequences depending on what religion it is. Usually in the Christian faith, your consequences are you're going to hell. Now, that is specifically eternal damnation. That means that you don't just suffer now, you suffer forever. And this is largely part of the high church uh, type of mentality. So we're talking Anglicanism, Catholicism, uh, Baptist, um, Lutheranism, and... um, Oh, what's the other one? Eastern Orthodox. All right. So these teach that, yes, God is forgiving. Yes, God loves you. But if you do these things, whatever they are, X, Y, Z, then it is a complete stepping away of God. You are spitting in the face of God. And even though uh, the Savior figure, who is Jesus, died on the cross for your sins and was resurrected and put an end to death— Um, you're still going to go to hell if you do these things against God, because clearly, um, if you commit these specific sins, it is so egregious that unless you confess it to God and say you're sorry in a sacramental way, you have separated yourself from God. God hasn't separated himself or itself from you. You have separated yourself and therefore, you know, you are going to not be able to live in happiness with God. You are going to be eternally damned. Okay, so let's stop for a moment and look at this from a perspective that from somebody who has trauma and shame in their life. For somebody that believes they are inherently bad, for somebody that believes that their needs aren't important, for somebody that believes that they have to be manipulative to get what they want, and for somebody that believes that their only source of value as a person comes from being good in their religion. Can you see how having a religion that basically teaches that if you do these certain sins, you are going to be damned forever causes additional shame? causes additional trauma, especially around sexuality, especially around sexuality. Well, uh, you know, you're not allowed to explore in certain ways. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do this. You must be married before you do this. If you are married, uh, you still can't do this, but you you can do that. Um, yes, there are religions that are very, very descriptive in terms of what's allowed, what's not allowed, what birth control can you use, what can't you use, um, all sorts of different things. And me being Catholic, there was a lot there. And don't get me wrong, I learned all the reasons behind all these beliefs. I could still tell you the reasons behind all these beliefs because I was trying to be the 
best possible Catholic. I was trying to be the perfect Catholic because then I would belong somewhere. Then if I knew that God loved me and I could be the best person for God and I could be the I could be a religious educator and I could be a uh, a person that demonstrates my faith to other people um at least within the church setting, then I could be fine. The problem is that outside of church I was imperfect and I felt ashamed. And I wanted to avoid the feelings of shame, loneliness, boredom, etc. And that's where sex comes in. So, I grew up in the early days of the internet, back in the Wild West days, back when there were more than one dial-up internet service, and back when uh, 56K was the fastest, 56 kilobits <laughs> per second was the fastest that you could download something. And of course, as that started, well, uh, that began the advent of online pornography. And uh, online porn started off just like regular porn did. It started off with softcore sites and then got more and more aggressively uh, descriptive, so to speak, in terms of what it displayed. And guess what? To a young guy who doesn't belong, doesn't feel like they belong, doesn't feel like they'll ever have a chance with a real woman, that's a great outlet <laughs> to avoid pain. <laughs> that is a great, great outlet to avoid pain because it releases dopamine. It has this immediate hit. Now, by the way, I am not speaking in a moral way right now about porn and associated activities. Um, I do believe, I do believe that there are things that are inherently wrong about how that industry operates, but I am not making a moral statement right now, okay? So I just want that to be clear. However, my religion definitely had a moral statement about that. And so here's the problem. Outside of my religion, I started getting addicted to viewing this stuff. And over time, what I got addicted to viewing, and I won't say addicted, it was a way for me to avoid dealing with pain uh, because, well, you know, hey, uh, I, I don't like feeling pain. It hurts. And dopamine and serotonin that get released when I look at this stuff helps me to feel good. And so whenever I had to deal with pain, I would go and view stuff online and do other physical activities uh, tied to self-pleasure. And it became compulsive, which made me feel even more guilt and shame because this is something that my religion expressly said was one of those things that would permanently separate you from God and send you to hell for eternity. So I am now more defective I am now more defective because of taking place in these activities. At least that's how I felt. So I'm now more defective. I am now more broken and more shame. So what do I do? Well, shame is pain. So I'm feeling ashamed of what I'm doing. I feel disgusted with myself. So what do I do? Well, my religion, which is the only source of me feeling like I belong, tells me I've done something evil. So now I feel ashamed and I feel guilty. So what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to go back to the thing that makes me feel ashamed and guilty. Why? Because it gives me pleasure. So uh, 
I get into this never-ending cycle of pleasure, pleasure, uh, pleasure, shame, more pleasure, shame, more pleasure, shame. And it goes on and on. And then I go back to my religion and I confess and I go to the confessional. And many times throughout my life, the, the priest had not great advice. Well, just stop doing that. Or, well, you're married now. That shouldn't be an issue. Uh, you know, you have a wife that could be able to, you know, help you with those needs. It's not about the need. It's, it's not about that side of things. It's not about sexual drive. It's about, I feel pain. And the only way I know how to deal with pain is through this avenue. That's what it was. And so when (laughs) you have trauma, you have shame and guilt and pain, and your identity is tied to a religion that now tells you that everything that you've ever done to deal with pain is unhealthy and is going to separate you from God permanently, you then get in a never-ending cycle. At least I know I did. And here's what I have since discovered. And it's, it's absolutely insane is that when I at least can separate these things from shame and guilt, they don't have the same addictive quality. When I separate anything tied to my sexuality from religion, from trauma, and from shame, and it takes a lot of work to do that, it turns out it doesn't have to be a guilty activity. And now I'm not telling people, go out and do these things as much as you want, and it's perfectly fine. No, it can become addictive, just like, hey, you can have a drink sometimes, and it's not addictive. In fact, you could have a drink every night, and it's not addictive. But if you're drinking obsessively without actually thinking about it or without enjoying it just because the feeling of having a drink helps you to deal with pain that's an addiction when something is being done compulsively without actually enjoying it without actually thinking about what's happening yeah oh say that (laughs) yeah coffee is the exception I I will say coffee is an exception. Somebody in the chat is like, ah, well, you know, tell that to you and your addiction to coffee. No, coffee is life. But um, actually, no joke, in high school, um, I got so little sleep that at one point I was um, taking caffeine pills. I do not recommend that. Uh, that That was not good. But that being said, the idea of a person's sexual drive being unhealthy, being sinful, Uh, just because they choose to explore that um, is bad. You know, the idea of it being unhealthy is bad is what I'm saying. But that being said, if the focus is just on escaping, and that might not even be conscious, you have to be, like, I know I have to be honest with myself. If the idea of doing this is just to escape or just a sense of self-validation, that could be a problem. And so it, it comes to how your how the relationship is. And I find that I still struggle with that relationship with these topics because I'm not perfect. 
I still have all of my shame triggers. I still have all of my trauma triggers. I still have all of the triggers that my my former religion built into me. And I have to, every time that I decide to walk a certain line, I have to judge for myself. Am I doing certain things or taking part in certain activities because I actually am focusing on that activity and really connecting with it? Or is it because I'm trying to avoid something else? So I believe there is a healthy balance with all these things. But the problem is, if I feel guilty or ashamed of doing them, then it's just going to lead me to do them more. The minute that the shame and the trauma gets disconnected in my brain, well, then I don't feel like I'm forced to do these things as an escape. And the fact is, many religions cause tons of shame around all of these things. Because the only way to perpetuate the religion, and, you know, this, I don't think this is necessarily a conscious decision on the part of the religions, but the only way that the religion continues is to keep people in that religion. So, if my salvation, if my spiritual eternity is decided upon this well what are the vices so to speak of human existence well the fact is is that yeah the bible is right yeah the quran is right yes the buddhist teachings are right anything that we crave from a physical nature can become a vice so food can become a vice uh you know sex can become a vice all of these things can become a vice because well they feel good eating feels good because it's necessary for survival sex feels good because it's necessary for survival having a place to live in feels good because it's necessary for survival now is it necessary that this place has all this stuff and we have five you know televisions and 15 computer monitors and everything else no that's not necessary but people sometimes feel like it is again acquiring stuff feels good because it it gives us a sense of well-being and it gives us a sense of prestige and honor but it really doesn't that's why religions have so many rules around physical goods around physical experiences around uh, alcohol around drugs around all of these things because yes they can become addictive when abused but usually the abuse is because of a pattern of trauma and shame in somebody's life and all religion does in that pattern is reinforce it by saying if you do these things eternal damnation eternal consequences not just consequences for next week not just somebody you know uh gets hurt by it but no for all eternity which the human mind can't even fathom you will be burning or you will not even exist in some religions you're not even allowed to exist in the eternity anymore you cease to exist because of your great sins and I don't like that. And I'm not saying I don't believe there's something spiritual out there. I'm not saying that I don't believe there is a greater force behind the universe. I truly do. But I don't know if there is an organized system that I would want to be part of because then all of a sudden your participation with that spirituality 
becomes shameful or becomes potentially shameful because of the moral code of that religion. Now, don't get me wrong. I think there are certain things that are uh, in morality that are well-defined. You don't just murder people for no good reason. You know, if it's self-defense, that's not murder, it's self-defense. But I'm saying you don't go out and randomly shoot somebody. That would be wrong. So there are certain moral truths that are universal to a certain extent, although in some societies, maybe they're not. So it really, really is difficult. So what am I getting at in all of this rambling? Basically, one of the core things there's a lot of guilt about in society is uh, sex, sexuality, etc. because in part of religion, but also because of societal norms, uh, because of the way that things are advertised on TV, the way that things are portrayed in movies, the way that things are portrayed, obviously, in pornography, etc. And there's a lot of guilt and shame around uh, the idea of nudity. There's a lot of guilt and shame around um, the idea of self-pleasure or taking care of oneself, um, one's own sexual needs. All of these things cause a lot of guilt and shame in society. And it's worse for women than it is for men in some ways. Don't get me wrong, as a man, there's a lot that I feel guilty and shameful about, or at least used to, in regards to sexuality. However, for women, it seems to be a lot worse because there are so many expectations placed upon women. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm being a hypocrite when I say that because I'm a man and internally I have put expectations on women around these types of topics. So I'm not, I'm not like saying I'm a perfect squeaky clean man and I'm, I'm here for the women and I'm here to defend women. Like, no, I'm just as messed up as everybody else. The point being though, that there's so much toxic shame and guilt around these topics and it's hard for me to even talk about this. It's hard for me to get out here and put out this episode because I'm honestly afraid. You know, what if somebody judges me? What if somebody, um, you know, what if I get deplatformed because I'm talking about these things? What if somebody's like, oh, he's, you know, nasty because maybe he he views porn uh, or he, you know, takes care of his own physical sexual needs? What, what if something's, you know, oh, that's gross. You know, who would do that? Well, that's the attitude. And at least in the United States, that's the attitude. There's also an underlying current current of boys will be boys, but really, shh, don't talk about it. Don't let your kids know about this. It's bad. Save them from themselves. I think in other cultures, it's not as bad, but keep in mind, the U.S. was founded on a very puritanistic religious value system. That's why on the East Coast, we don't necessarily call liquor stores liquor stores. We call them package stores. Well, why are they called package stores? Well, because it was so shameful to buy alcohol at one point that you would go to this store and you would come out with a brown paper bag with whatever you purchased in it because you didn't want people to see. You came out of the store with a package, not with alcohol. Interesting, right? So... I think the point is, is that the sooner that I, at least for myself, can accept that these things are healthy in, in moderation, just like alcohol is healthy in moderation, just like I believe that um, 
drugs like marijuana or even uh, psychedelics such as psilocybin, ayahuasca, or DMT can be healthy in controlled circumstances. No, I haven't done them. Although marijuana is now legal in my state, I haven't tried it as of yet. But the point is, I believe these things can be healthy. And we spend so much time judging other people and stigmatizing other people. And yeah, I know that I was a judgmental person in regards to all of these things in the past. It's something I've had to move past as part of my psychological and mental development over the past year. And it sucks. It really sucks realizing your entire worldview was nothing but judgment and shame. Self-judgment, but also external judgment and shame. So I think the point is that a lot of people need a lot of help (laughs) in this situation. That's why therapy is important. And that's another area where guilt and shame come in. People feel so guilty about having to get help. Oh, you, you have to go to a therapist? Oh, you can't handle life on your own? No, I can't. I need somebody with training and education to help me to get through certain problems because I don't know everything and I will never know everything. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes I act like I know everything, but that's one of my faults. That's something I'm working on. I don't know everything. I will never know everything. I will never be an expert in every single aspect of every single thing, and neither will you. None of us are experts in dealing with our own trauma and shame because we've built a cocoon to keep ourselves safe. And guess what? That cocoon is not visible to us. That shield is not visible to us. We need somebody else to be that mirror, like I talked about at the beginning. That's where therapy comes in. That's where a trusted friend comes in. And that's where vulnerability comes in, where you have to be honest with that person. You have to be able to, when they ask difficult questions, answer them with integrity. And that's hard too, being honest with oneself. Which brings me to the topics of last week's podcast, which was uh, at one point I said, I am responsible for my own happiness, but does binge watching an entire season of a TV show truly make me happy or is that a way of distracting myself from pain? Sometimes the answer might be yes to either. But the idea is being intellectually and emotionally honest with oneself about those things. So this has been... A very interesting episode so far and uh, touched on a lot of things. A lot of things that, like I said, I have fear about. People might judge me for saying them. That people can have a healthy relationship (laughs) with taking care of their own sexual needs and even potentially with pornography. That there, there are healthy ways to have relationships with these things. And the reason why most of the time it's out of hand is one, because people are using it as a coping mechanism, which turns it into something similar to an addiction. And two, because society drives so much shame and guilt around it. Now, that being said, there is a caveat to that, and that is that the uh, pornographic industry does have very bad business practices and that there are people that have been severely taken advantage of in that industry. So... It's also important to, I guess, consider the potential, the potential impact 
that this this particular industry has on people's lives and to find if you are going to look at content of that nature to make sure that it is uh hmm what's the way um that it is sourced in a way that respects the dignity of the person it is sourced from that it was not sourced in a way of coercion um that it was something that the person freely chose and wanted to be part of and was not under the influence of drugs at the time was not uh, was in a good place mentally at the time and that this wasn't something that was taken without consent and that's hard to do because there's been a lot of stories even about the largest um you know producers of these contents or displayers of this these contents where they are not following even the legal um standards for these things so that's the other thing to be very careful about. All right. So that's the caveat that I'm putting there. Also, the secondary caveat is that, yes, uh, anything shown in pornography is a fantasy. This is not real life. It will never be real life. And while aspects of it might be real, uh, really don't expect your own intimate life to be like that because it will never happen, period. It, you, you know, at least from what I've been told and experienced in my own life, there it's not real, period. Anyway, so those caveats in place. Whew, tough topics, tough topics, and um, ones that I'm sure that I'll get whiplash from and judgment on, and it's going to uh, cause a lot of pain in my life, and I'm probably going to bury my head in the sand and... Um, you know, disappear. <laughs> like, I don't want to, but, um, you know, it's a very dicey topic. And uh, that's why I'm talking about it, because it is a dicey topic. And because, honestly, it's had a profound impact on my life in a negative way. And I don't want other people to have that same experience. So that's why I walked through this in a specific way. I started off talking about trauma because I've had a lot of trauma in my life which causes a lot of pain that I want to avoid. What's one way of uh, avoiding pain? Well, finding something pleasurable to distract you from the pain. That's a driver of most addictions. What is one source of pain? Shame. Where does shame come from? Well, it comes to everything from not having needs met as a child. It comes from not feeling like you belong in society. And it also comes from religion, especially when that religion is what you identify with as a person and is where your only source of belonging comes from. And then, of course, a lot of shame, trauma, and religion Uh, rules of religion tie into sexuality and sexuality is a pleasurable thing which makes it the perfect way of thinking that you can deal with life's problems and then feeling guilty and ashamed and going back into it so there we go large topic not necessarily safe for children although i believe that if you are an adult and you have children that you are responsible for in your life this is a conversation that you should have and you should also think about your own. This is my opinion. I'm not an expert, but think about where your own standing is with these topics. Why are they so triggering to you if they are? Why is it that you you have that gut reaction when somebody mentions something? If you're feeling like an immediate judgment action, that's tied 
to some kind of trauma or traumatic trigger. At least that's what I've discovered. It's tied to a behavior that makes you feel safe. And when something threatens your safety, you attack it or you freeze and shrink back. All right. So that was quite an episode. If you are getting any value from the podcast here or, um, hey, if if you're in my game stream, I do believe in value for value. Uh, Value for value is a simple concept. If you get value from what I'm doing, then show whatever that value is in return. That could be in terms of promotion. It could be in terms of, um, you know, feedback, uh, collectivecastfeedback at gmail.com. It can be interacting with me in the game stream chat. It could be uh, all sorts of things. And it can also be monetary in value uh, if you really feel so. And obviously, Twitch has... Uh, different monetary ways of donating. Uh, I do have a PayPal account, but I also recently enabled what's known as the value block in the podcasting 2.0 specs. What does that mean? Well, that means that if you use an app that is value uh, compliant with the podcasting 2.0 system, you can actually stream Bitcoin payments to me in real time as you listen. And you can also hit a boost button to give me uh, during your favorite parts of the show to give me a slightly higher payment at those moments where you feel the show has been giving you greater value. The app that I'm going to talk about this week that does that is the Breeze app. That's B-R-E-E-Z. You could search for that in the the, uh, Apple Store or in the Google Play Store. Breeze is actually a a uh, Bitcoin Lightning wallet system, but they tie specifically into podcasts. And my podcast is actually listed on there as one of the value-enabled podcasts. So that's one app that you can use to stream live payments to some of your favorite podcasters um, in real time. So that's pretty awesome. And obviously, you can control how many Satoshis you're streaming and uh, how much a boost is and all of those things. And if you want to learn more about that, please head to newpodcastapps.com or head to podcastindex.org. Both of those will lead you to the podcasting 2.0 standard. And you could do a search for the Breeze app. It's B-R-E-E-Z in your app store of choice. And that will help you to find that particular wallet. All right. So, all right, we're going to wrap things up for today. If anything that I've said has resonated with you, I would definitely appreciate hearing from you, collectivecastfeedback at gmail.com. Another thing that I would appreciate is if you have a story of how you've overcome adversity in your life, I would love to hear those stories. I could learn from them and we could share them with others. In the meantime, I'm the Cryptic Chameleon, also known as Chris. We'll catch you next time.